Acts chapter 3, 11 through 26. While he clung to Peter and John, all of the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us, as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate, when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy and Righteous One, and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all of the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first, to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Hey, it's Easter, right? Yeah, it's good to see you. Hope you're doing well this morning. Welcome. If you're a guest with us, we're so glad you're here. This is your first time. My name is Mike. I am one of the pastors here, um, and I have the, the regular rhythm of getting to stand up here and open the Bible and try to show you Jesus from it. And that's our goal this morning. And so uh, what a great passage. Um, it, and it's Easter, right? So, so everybody do an Easter egg hunt already, or do you have one planned? We, we love Easter. Come on. Have y'all had an Easter egg hunt? All right, there you go. We do one at our house. Um, my dad, who, who is super generous to my, my kids, always has been, uh, they are excited because they know that there's going to be a whole bunch of dollar coins and eggs that they get to find today. So even my teenage kids are like, I'm all in on this Easter egg hunt, right? You would be too. And uh, he, let me explain to you the reason why he goes out and finds all the dollar coins he can find. Um, a few years ago, actually several years ago, my dad went out and uh, my mom and dad have been doing this for years. They went out and hid all the Easter eggs for Easter in their backyard. And my kids, they just left them out there while we ate lunch. They were all hidden, ready to go. My kids went out to find a whole bunch of Easter eggs that had been opened up and all the candy was gone. The squirrels had descended into the backyard 
and stolen all of it. But they not only stole the candy, that's replaceable. They took a whole bunch of dollar bills, like 15 bucks gone. And if you know my dad, $15 gone is a problem, all right? So now we have dollar coins so the squirrels can't steal them. That's what we're looking for today. Hope your plan for today is to have a great uh, time together with your family to celebrate uh, this amazing day. But um, we're glad to be with you today and glad that you're here celebrating this amazing holiday, this amazing message with us today. And what I want to do is I want to take us back to the story. I want us for a minute to imagine that we are not here, but we are there. It's, it's a, a, a day during the week. We're not sure what day it is. It's not necessarily Sunday because it was pretty common for people in the Jewish culture, in this ancient people who um, had this central uh, building that represented their worship, their God, their, them coming and experiencing the presence of the Lord. They would go to it quite often. In fact, uh, even on just a common day, the, the Temple Mount, which is on this top hill in the city of uh, this, this ancient big city of Jerusalem, would fill with sometimes thousands of people. And, and on this day, it's we were told it starts at the hour of prayer. It's about three o'clock in the afternoon. Um, this event that is told in the story is just a couple months. So it's probably early summer or midsummer. Uh, so it's warm, it's hot, but the, the city is abuzz with all kinds of things that have been going on. And you show up with your family, it's about three o'clock at this, this complex that is covered with gold everywhere. That in, in your lifetime and in your, your parents' lifetime, what used to be kind of a humble place is, was turned into this very elaborate, gold-covered, uh, just this, this building in this whole complex. It, it took up uh, about an acre and a half of ground on the top of the hill and then a 20-acre footprint for the old temple compound. And uh, it had been rebuilt by this king named Herod, Herod the Great, uh, a generation before. And it was just this elaborate, beautiful place. And one of the things that it had was this this um, this overhang, this porch that had all these columns that people remembered this is the site where the original temple was, was built by a guy named Solomon. So it's called Solomon's Porch or Solomon's Colonnade. And, and you, you, you kind of would come through this space as you entered from the outside into this first big area that was called the Court of the Gentiles. And right across from there, there was this big gate called, the, they, they called it the beautiful gate. And, and there, there is um, just this, this elaborate bronze, massive gate that if you were a, a Gentile, if you were not a Jew, you would have had to stop. So for most of us in the room, not everybody, but most of us in the room, we would have had to stop there. We couldn't have gone further in because the Jewish people from their scriptures believed that they were the only ones who had access into the very presence of God. But on this day, you, you decide to go. So you and your family are going along, probably dragging the kids. They're going, not again. This is boring. I can't believe you're making me go to this thing every day. We go all the time. Uh, it is a rhythm and ritual of your family worship to go. And you decide you're going this day to this hour of prayer. Your goal is to get there. And they would have a whole bunch of sacrifices that would be offered at this hour. And everybody would then pause and say these prayers from the Old Testament where they would begin to pray together for the nation, for God's kingdom. And, and literally they had been looking for this coming one, this mess, Messiah, this king that God had promised in the Old Testament. And, and when you show up this day, though, something is a little bit different. See, there was this guy who was sitting next to that big 
gate, this big, beautiful gate, he was, that's not different. He was there all the time. He, he was a, a beggar who was also, the, the t- story tells us, he was lame from birth. And every day, a group of friends would carry him in, set him down in front of this bu- giant gate, and he would sit there with his hat in his hand or with, with a bucket in front of him, just asking people to give. And you'd walk by him, I mean, hundreds of times because, you know, it was your rhythm. Like every time you went to church, to, you, like the big door you had to go through, he was sitting there all the time. And sometimes you felt guilty and you paused and you threw a couple bucks in. Other times you just didn't look at them, you know, like we do with the people who are down in you know, downtown St. Louis who are homeless and have the signs on them. Just like if I don't look at them, look them in the eye and walk around them, uh, I can kind of ignore them. But you know who he is. He's, he's there all the time. And, and on this day, something is weird. Because when you walk in, he's not there. He, he'd been there yesterday begging. He'd, he'd been there the day before begging. He'd been there the the day before, but he is not there. And then you turn around, and this guy is jumping and dancing and singing praise to Jesus. Oh, that will catch your attention, wouldn't it? Like if, if we started this morning with somebody that like everybody in town, everybody in town knew him and knew he hadn't walked since birth and that he'd been hanging out in, in Eureka and like every time you saw him, he was, you know, out there begging somewhere and this dude is dancing a jig down our aisles. You'd be like, oh man, this is crazy. What do I do with this? But, but he's singing to, to, to Jesus and, and for you... That, that, that's hard because just, just a couple months earlier, you were headed to the temple in the morning. And man, there was this crowd of people that were gathered. And you're curious because we're always curious when there's a crowd. And when you show up, you realize that this crowd is taking this guy, Jesus, who has been doing miracles and all these crazy teachings and you've heard all these stories about him but you're uneasy about this Jesus and so you followed the crowd and you end up with this crowd who now they take him to this Roman governor this guy named Pilate this governor is filled with his own self-importance and as a Jew you actually hate him because you you hated the fact that the Romans this massive empire ruled over you But on this day, they've thrown Jesus. He's already been beaten and bloodied. He's got this crown of thorns on his head. They they give him to Pilate. And Pilate holds a trial. Your your own Jewish leader, your your religious leaders, your, your rulers over your people, your national people, had already found a reason to have him crucified, to have him killed. But they didn't want this just done silently in the back room where nobody noticed it. They didn't just want to like off Jesus. They wanted his death to be public on a cross. And they couldn't do that by themselves. They, they had to ask a Roman governor to carry out this very public form of shaming, of execution. They, they so hated Jesus that it was their desire to, to, to not only kill him, but to put terror into the hearts of everybody who ever followed him. 
And the Roman official took Jesus and held a trial and found him, are you ready, not guilty. And so he walks out and tells the crowd, I find no fault in him. I find him not guilty. We, we can't really crucify this guy. There's nothing worthy of being crucified. And the crowd starts shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And next thing you know, you, you hear your voice join you're just swept up in the moment. You were part of this crowd who was yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And, and Pilate is shocked. He, he can't believe this crowd would turn on this guy who's just a nomadic teacher from up north. And so he comes up with this crazy plan. See, the Jews had this tradition where they would release a prisoner who was deserving of death or at least a long imprisonment at the Passover. And it's the Passover. This is when this is going on. And so what Pilate does is he goes and finds the worst possible criminal. He goes and finds a terrorist named Barabbas. He's an insurrectionist, a murderer. He is bringing danger to the people. These sort of people will, will get Rome really fired up. And, and who wants a terrorist release? And so Pilate thinks, man, I've outsmarted all these people. I'm going to stand this sweet Jesus who hasn't done anything and this terrorist Barabbas, and I'm going to let them choose, this crowd choose, this crowd choose who they're going to let go free and who they're going to, to crucify on this day. Knowing, he's knowing that they're going to look at Barabbas and go, all right, we, we were not happy with Jesus, but man, don't let that guy out. That goes sideways. And so he stands up and says, who do you want me to release? And the crowd begins to say, give us Barabbas. Let the, let the terrorists go free. Crucify that guy. And next thing you know, they're shouting, crucify him again. And you, you hear your voice lifted in that moment. And before you know what happens, Pilate gives in to the crowd, hands Jesus over. They march him up this hill, and he dies a horrible, visible death. He is in front of a crowd who is mocking him, who is shaming him, much like the lynching tree in our culture where the whole crowd gathers to see the shame and the horror of the event. A crowd has gathered. Now you are in that crowd and you are joining the voices that are mocking and making fun. Oh, if he was a king, why can't he save himself? If he's a king, why can't he stop this? What kind of king are you? They take him off the cross and they put him in a grave. But, but man, for the last three months, you've wrestled with that. And now you're hearing these crazy, crazy stories. That guy you watched die on a cross, publicly executed by Romans. There are rumors in the city that that guy is alive. And you're not sure what to do with him. You walk into the temple on this day, and this guy is leaping and dancing and celebrating and singing, and next thing you know, he is clinging to two of this guy's closest followers. Two of this guy, like, 
This guy is hugging. He's like doing a group hug with Peter and, and John going, wow, you are my boys. You, you healed me. I'm whole because you pointed me to Jesus. I believed in him. You led me to, and now he's done something with my legs. I can't explain. I, we preached on this last Sunday, and one of the guys who's in the band came up and said, I've never thought about the whole miracle here. The text here says that, that, that it was through faith in Jesus that this man was made whole. And the word actually means way more than just healed his physically body. God rescued him. But his physical body now is an image of this, right? And we, it, it, Luke, who is a physician who wrote this, tells us about the fact that his ankles got made strong and his feet came together. What it doesn't tell us, because he didn't have the medical understanding, is that for a person who has never walked and is now over 40 years of age, there are healing that has to happen. The nerves, spinal cord, like the whole thing. This guy who's never walked, who's 40 years old, who never was taught to walk because he couldn't. Think about that first time you taught your children to walk, right? This guy is dancing and leaping. It, it is a whole healing, but it wasn't just his legs and his spinal cord and his nerves. It was his whole person that was rescued. He is hugging these two guys who are uh, uh, two of Jesus' closest followers, two of the, the guys who were with Jesus all those years. And now you are not sure what to make of it, but now another crowd is running towards these guys in this complex right by this column that is the most public place in the temple. And you start running, and you are there. That's what's going on in this story. Let, let, let's jump in and feel the moment. And now think about Peter and John, okay? They, in this moment, are in front of this massive crowd of people in the most public place with the people who actually killed Jesus all around, including the Jewish religious leaders who are already agitated about the news that Jesus is alive because they, they were behind his execution. To stand up in this moment and talk about Jesus could get you in a lot of trouble. But they healed this guy, and everybody's running going, how'd you do that? Now, I know what I would have done at that moment, right? I'd have been like, hey, dude, come here. You're, you're walking. <laughs> Hashtag blessed, buddy. Hashtag blessed. Hashtag look, look what I did for Jesus, right? Throw this on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. I'd be all out there. We'd be like, yeah, I'm Jesus' guy. Look what I did. I love Peter here. He looks him right in the eyes and he goes, You're nuts. If you think this miracle happened because of my power, <laughs> I don't have this kind of power. Or because I'm so devoted to, to God and to Jesus. My devotion is not that strong. Nobody's devotion is that strong. Nobody's power is that strong. This man is healed today. This man is, is standing walking. He is whole because of the name, the name of Jesus and the fact that we and this man put our faith in Jesus, he is whole. And you were standing there and now you're like freaking out. You've heard the rumors, you were there. What do you do with this? And here's Peter and what's he going to do? 
Peter's going to take this moment where all eyes are on him, all ears are on him. He cha- has a chance to talk to this crowd. He has a chance to tell them what, what his life and what his story is all about and what their hope is. He is looking at people who are in the crowd. The crowd is filled with people who were in Jerusalem for Passover just a couple months ago. People who were filled, this crowd is filled with people who were part of the crowd that shout, crucify him. And he has a chance to preach and proclaim why this man is walking to them. And you know what he does? He preaches an Easter sermon. He preaches an Easter sermon. We're here today, it's Easter. We join the voice of thousands of churches all over the United States who have one message this morning. It is the message that Peter preached this day. We join the voices of thousands upon thousands of churches for the last 2,000 years that have joined together on Easter and then week after week to proclaim one central message because this, in this message, in what Peter preached on that day is our hope this Easter and every other day. And I just want to show you what Peter, the good news, the beautiful story of Jesus, he did not preach himself. He did not make this about Peter and John. He did not talk about their greatness and how they were like Jesus' best guys. He preached Christ, but he preached it in a way that was direct and clear and challenged who they were so they could see their need and come running with the hope of the gospel. That, that, that's what we're going to do here, okay? I just want to give you a simple outline from this, this sermon. In Peter's sermon, he just preaches a simple gospel message to these people that, that I want to preach, not the, not, not the same message, but from Peter's message, I just want to help us see the same keys because what Peter proclaimed to this crowd as they're watching this guy leaping and dancing and running around and praising Jesus and curious why this happened, what Peter said to that crowd, we need to hear said to us today. Okay? That's what we want to do. And it's a really simple outline, okay? I'm going to give it to you real quick, and then we're going to run through it. Peter's sermon talked about God, talked about me, talked about Christ, and talked about a response. God, me, Christ, response. Just remember that. If you're here today and you're kind of new and you're like, what is this all about? Our message, by the way, not today. If you come back next week, we're going to preach Jesus. This is what we're going to talk about every Sunday. We don't just preach it on Easter. Every Sunday, our hope, Paul said in the New Testament, he says, I came and preached only Christ and him crucified. We want to tell you that our hope is not in our own ability, our own power, our own devotion to God. Our hope is in the same Jesus who raised this man from his not being able to walk for 40 years and made his whole life whole. Our hope is in Jesus in the name of Jesus alone. God, man, Christ response. Let's start with God. Start with God. Look at this. Look at what he says. And if you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to make sure you grab one. If you have an app open, grab that. If you don't have a Bible, actually at the end of some of our rows, there are baskets that have Bibles in them. And we would love for you to grab that. And if you don't have a Bible at home that you like reading, that would be our gift to you. We would love for you to take that Bible and start using it and just start reading it, okay? Uh, and and uh, uh, we're in the book of Acts this morning. And so uh, Acts, and, and, and we're again looking at this passage, chapter 11 through, uh, or chapter 3, verse 11 through 26, and hearing the story here of this man. I'm not going to reread the whole story. We heard it read. It's a beautiful story as this man is... is 
Like this man who was healed is casting a shadow over the crowd. They are running, and now Peter is explaining how this happened and what it means to me. And it says, verse 11, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people were utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel. He's speaking to these people who had this whole background and story that was religious, that was rooted in this faith, that was was Jewish, and, and they believed in, in this one true God that had made himself known in the Old Testament. And he's, look at verse 13, he says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, who you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. He runs them first to God. He reminds them of their God. He tells them that God is the, the beginning point and the whole point of the whole gospel. The story we have for you doesn't start with me. It doesn't start with what my wants and wishes. It starts with the fact that there is a God, and that God is in heaven, and that God has created all things. But Peter is careful here not to just say, Pick a God, any God. Like he's got a deck of cards and you can have any spirituality you want. Pick a God, any God. The one you choose is fine. He starts with a specific God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers. In other words, he's looking at these Jewish people and says, listen, the God who is, the God who made everything, is also the God who redeemed us, who rescued us. He is the God who has made himself known. One of the central things you need to know about the faith that is Christianity is that we are not just guessing and wondering who this God is. God is always mysterious because he is always greater than my brain can get around him, right? But one of the central things you need to know about what, it, what the scriptures here and what we believe is that the one true and living God has chosen to condescend himself and make himself known. The God of heaven is coming to us in this service and going, hello, my name is God. I would like to meet you. Welcome. He wants you to know him. And by, by wanting you to know him, he has chosen to make himself knowable. Not fully knowable and understandable, but what we have in scripture is true of him. And this God is pursuing you. He is for you. He loves you. In fact, there's this amazing passage in the Old Testament in the story of the Exodus. This crazy story where God rescued the fathers that we're talking about in the text from slavery in Egypt. And and, and as God rescued them from slavery, he brought them to himself and he said, listen, I want to tell you that every nation has their own spirituality. Every nation has their own idea of God. But the one true and living God who has now saved his people said, I want to tell you who I am. And in Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, listen to what God says. He says, here's who I am. Here's the core essence to understand me. He says, the Lord passed before him, meaning Moses, and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord. If you've ever heard the name Yahweh, it's Yahweh. Yahweh, Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, for th- uh, st- steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now here's, it's beautiful. He's saying, listen, here's the one true and living God. He is the God who loves you. He is for you. He is slow to anger. He is gracious and merciful. He will not give up on you. God says, this is who I am, but 
If we dig in our heels, if we turn our back, if we run from him, if we say, I don't care who you are, I'm going to live for me and I'm going to live whatever I want to do, I'm going to do what I want to do, that same God is a God of wrath and justice. Because when we run that direction, we make a hot mess of our lives and the world around us. And he is a God who is slow to anger and merciful, who is pursuing you and loves you. He, he is here today for you. And he's saying, this is who I am, God. But he is also a God at the end who, if we dig in our heels, will deal with us. The story of the Bible, the story of the gospel begins with this God who is, because he is both loving and just, is providing a way for us to have redemption, to have forgiveness, and the way is through Jesus. So there is God. Second thing we see in the text is me. Is me. That, that I have to look at myself and be honest. Now, as, as we kind of dealt with this story, we're in the crowd. What happens is, is Peter is looking at this crowd and he starts identifying some very clear things that they did. Check it out. These are, these are there in uh, verses, um, uh, verses like 13, 14, 15, 16, just look at some of the things Peter says to them. He looks at them and he says, listen, God glorified Jesus, but you delivered him over and denied him in the presence of Pilate. He's looking at him and said, listen, God had glorified him through his miracles, through his teaching, eventually through his resurrection, but you handed him over to Pilate. You were part of this. You shouted out for Jesus to be crucified. Pilate asked to release him, and you, the crowd responded, crucify him, crucify him. He says, you denied the holy and righteous one. You looked at the one that God had promised for centuries to come, and, and he was there, and you denied him. You, you didn't know him. You, you acted like he wasn't important, and he wasn't who God had sent, and you denied him. And then it says, you asked for a murder to be set free so that Jesus would be killed. You, you asked for Barabbas, like you were part of that. And, and this one phrase is a phrase, that every time I read it, it just slays me. You killed the author of life. The very one who spoke the universe into existence came to live among us in humanity and you killed him. The one who said, let there be light, you, you killed the author of life. The one who breathed the breath of life into the first man, Adam, and the one who gave us our lives, you is this possible? Is, is it possible to kill the author of life? But this is what Peter says then. What, you, you took the life. But he says this was God's plan from the beginning, that God the Son came and also offered his life for us, and God proved that who he was by raising him from the dead. But here we are, the crowd that is there in the crosshairs of pretty serious stuff, like, how, does, how do these people find forgiveness? Like, how do these people ever stand before God and go, yeah, I was there that day. I yelled, crucify him. I, I, I asked for Barabbas. I guess I'm out of luck. Now, here's what happens. Here's what you and I do. We go, hey, man, I wasn't there that day. It's 2,000 years later, and I'm in church, buddy. Don't be hanging this one on me, right? You sound like my kids. Where's the remote? Nobody had it. Nobody had the remote last. It's gone. But nobody was watching TV, right? I, I mean, we're all good at this. We're all good at saying, hey, man, I didn't have anything to do with that. It wasn't my fault. I, didn't, I wasn't part of that. 
But here's what Peter's trying to get. He's preaching to these people. He says, you killed the author of life. That is their issue. But we got to peel this back and go, why did you do it? Why did, I say you, like we were really there. But why did those people do it? And the reason is because that God had promised for a thousand years the coming Messiah, this king who would come to rule. And in their minds, they had decided what the Messiah would be. But this king that they had set up in their minds, the type of redemption, the type of savior they wanted, was the type of savior who would give them their idolatry. Here, here's a big idea. That they had things in their lives that they had put in the place of God. For them, it was a lot of national identity. They hated Rome, and they believed that if God were really to save them, it would be the overthrow of Rome. And next thing you know, Israel is the power, and we get to rule, we get to have freedom, and all this sort of stuff. Or, or it might have been a sense of, of desire for wealth and riches. And a lot of Jesus' pre- teaching and preaching pressed against that and said, listen, if you pursue that, it's not going to go well. Here's the problem with Jesus, that no matter what it is that I put in the place of God, I'm going to start reading the, the, the story of Jesus and his teaching, and eventually the real Jesus is going to confront what I have put in the place of God and made my God. And, and we all have it. I'm glad there's no Easter egg hunt going on right now, because everybody would be like, every kid in the room would be like, there's the big one. He's on stage. That's the beauty of Easter, right? We, we wear these colorful shirts, and then I just look like a big Easter egg on stage, right? You can laugh at that. It's okay. <laughs> but I will tell you, there are times in my life where my wife wants to feed me a salad, and I turn into, you know, Chris Farley. Back off, man. I'm hungry. Like, do you do that with me? I, 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 I prove that there are things that I, I just, I think are more important than relationships. I think are more important than anything. And, and all of a sudden those things become ultimate. And here's what I want. I want a God who will give me everything that I want. That, that, that's what I want. And a lot of us, what, the reason we bug out of church, the reason we bug out of relationship with God, the reason we even bug out of our human relationships is that sometimes we are called to lay the things that we have set up as ultimate down. And listen, at that point, at that very point, you need to hear me. I would join the crowd and start yelling, crucify him. Just because I was not there that day 2,000 years does not mean that the posture of my heart is not the same. And it is also the reason came to die. He died for my rebellion and my sin, my idolatry, my, the things that I've made ultimate. And I would give myself to those things. And there's a sweet call from Jesus to say, walk away from those things and trust me, but here am I. Man, those things die hard. And I'd rather have a dead Messiah than give up what I really want in my life. This didn't happen in a vacuum. These people didn't just wake up one morning and go, kill him! Sounds fun! What happened is Jesus in his ministry eventually confronted everybody and called them to turn from those things and trust in the God who was and who is and who is it is to come. And it was easier to kill Jesus than to deal with this. In, in the movie The Passion of the Christ, um, there is this moment. Mel Gibson, who made the, the movie, uh, actually didn't star in it. He didn't show up in the movie. There's one place where Mel Gibson shows up in the movie The Passion of the Christ. And it is only his hand who is holding a mallet who is putting a nail into the wrist of Jesus as they're showing the story of the crucifixion. 
And he is saying something that we need to hear, that I was there in ways. I was, it was my sin that killed the author of life. There's a great song called How Deep the Father's Love for Us. And one of the, one of the verses says this, Behold the man upon the cross. My sin upon his shoulders, ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His, his dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. Listen, we are involved in killing the author of life. It was my sin, my brokenness, my rebellion. And, and my sin and my brokenness and my rebellion has left me in a state where I don't have enough power or devotion to God that I can heal me. Don't miss that in the text. Peter did not say, hey, it was my power, my devotion. He is acknowledging I cannot do something that makes somebody whole. You and I are in the same state. It is not my power nor my devotion that can make you whole or make me whole. I can't get out of my own way. What, when I look at myself, the conclusion I ought to be coming to is that, oh, I need a Savior. I need a rescuer. God, who is God, me, I, I am broken. I will grab the mallet in my hand to protect my own sense of identity and my, what I believe will make me happy. But oh, the story of Jesus. Oh, the story of Jesus. And this is a Christ-centered, Christ-exalting, make-much-of-Jesus sermon. And, and he says a bunch of things. He tells us a bunch of stuff about Jesus Christ. Uh, first of all, he tells us who Jesus is, and he also shows us what Jesus did. And what he does in, in this sermon, remember, these are Jewish people who had grown up in the faith, grown up in this Jewish background and story. They had the whole Old Testament. But what Peter does in the sermon is he points out some things about who Jesus is and was that ties his existence to their story. First of all, he says that, that Jesus was the servant of, uh, of God. Look at verse 13. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our forefathers, of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. You see that? His servant. Now, that just sounds like, a, a, a well, he was God's servant. I'm God's servant, too. And there's a sense in which that is true. He just came to serve the will of the Lord and his purpose. But for Peter, when he's preaching this to the, these people, they get what he's saying. Because there's this, old, this whole book in the Old Testament from one of their most important prophets, this guy named Isaiah. And Isaiah, while he is, he is telling this nation that if they don't return to God, it's, it's not going to go well. In the midst of this, Isaiah, 800 years before Jesus came, begins to give a vivid description in the whole story that Isaiah has of this one person who would eventually come. We see in the beginning, Isaiah 7, 14 says this person would be born of a virgin. In Isaiah chapter 9, he says that he will be this king who is a wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. And, and of the increase of his government, there will be no end. And this king who shows up in the story, later, Isaiah begins to identify this king as this servant. There are these songs in Isaiah called the servant songs, where God, Isaiah, looking at this nation, the, the, the people who eventually lead to the people in the story, 800 years before, and says, Israel's hope is not Israel. 
It is one person who is the servant of the Lord who will usher in the hope and the beauty and the joy that Israel is looking for. This one person, he is the servant of the Lord. And, and Peter says, here's Jesus, he's the guy. But what happens is the king who is the servant, Isaiah 53 gives this vivid description of a servant who suffers. He is wounded for our sins. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement brought, that brought us peace was upon him. And by his stripes, his wounds, we are healed. And Peter says, Jesus was the servant. This Isaiah guy promised him 800 years before he was born. We're also told he is the holy and righteous one. This is the, like the, the perfect Righteous, holy, the only one who is holy, fully, and righteous, holy is God. And here's this man who was God among us. He proved it by living a perfect life. Peter tells us that he was the author of life. That literally Peter is telling us that Jesus is the one who spoke the universe into existence. And Peter tells us that he was the prophet promised by Moses. So again, he's tying this to their story and reminding them that 1,500 years before Their greatest leader was a guy named Moses who led them out of slavery at the hand of God. And Moses warned the people near the end of his life. He said, one day, one day, God is gonna raise a prophet like me who is greater than me. Man, when he shows up, make sure you listen to him. Don't don't miss him. And here is Peter looking at those people saying, listen, The cause of your guilt is the solution to your guilt. You crucified, you killed the author of life. You ignored the prophet sent by by God that was like Moses. You, You delivered the holy and righteous one over, but this is who he is. This is who Jesus still is to us today. He is this man who came and lived this perfect life. And so what we see in him is that who he is are these beautiful things that were promised in the Old Testament. But what he did is this, that the God of the universe stepped into humanity and became one of us. That's our hope today, okay? And that man lived this life that I should have lived. The holy and righteous one lived the life that was without sin. You and I fail. And then he, he lived the life I should have did, lived. He then died the death I should have died. They killed the holy and righteous. They, they killed the author of life. But it was God's plan from the beginning for Jesus to spread out his arms for the world to see. The cross was not just for the people in the crowd for that day. The cross is a symbol for all the world to see about how God gives us redemption. And Jesus gave his life freely as a sacrifice for you and me. He died in your place for your sins. How do people who killed Jesus find forgiveness? By running to Jesus. Christ died for them. This is what Peter's, look at these people. You guys killed him. And Jesus, this all happened so that you could have forgiveness from that and everything else. Have your whole life restored. And so Jesus died the death I should have died. But then three days later, uh, man, you think this man walking around whole is something to see? What happened is this man who was killed by soldiers who bled all over the place, who was broken and beat up. Three days later, he blew the door off the grave. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is not like I've been to funerals. You've been to funerals where people said, man, I just feel the presence of grandma. She is with us. 
And what we, what we might do is read the scripture, go back, and that's kind of what's happening, that Jesus is like with us. He died, but his presence, that is not what happens. What happens in the story is this. They murdered Jesus, crucified him, lynched him on a cross for the world to see, and three days later, he blew the door off of the grave. Death and hell could not hold him. He ate fish, physically ate fish with his buddies that night. Like, that's, that's cool. That's the moment to go, woohoo! Listen, he, he died the death I should have died. He, he, I'm sorry, he lived the life I should have lived. He died the death I should have died. And then he won the victory I could never won. He defeated an enemy, the enemy of death, hell, the grave. I could not defeat. And so it is God who, who loves us, who's for us. It is me who I killed the author of life. It is Christ who loves us and gave himself for us, the holy and righteous one who is all. He is everything, who gave his life but rose again. And so Peter looks at him and says, there is a response. There is a response. Look at verse 16 and following for, for us here. Look at what he says. He says, by, in his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man the perfect health in the presence of us all. And now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. You were blinded, as we all are, to our sinfulness and our need for redemption. But what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets that this Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled Verse 19, repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, this Jesus. Listen to what he says. He says, there is a way to respond to this message. <clears throat> and I know people who've heard this message over and over again, and their response is, that was cool, and then they go on about their lives. I know people who've had, even had re emotional responses where they went, that, that was moving, I was challenged. But Peter gives us the only response that matters. He says, you must believe in Jesus, which means repent and turn, okay? Repent means, it's this crazy Bible word, and sometimes it can, it can sound like really, like, cut it out. And it, that's part of it. Really what repent means is, is that you change directions. You go a different way, that you're, you're, you're moving in one direction. That is the path that I have set. That path includes my own attempts by my power and by my, my efforts and by my devotion to save myself. It is taking the things that I think are most important and saying I'm gonna live for these things and I'm gonna make them ultimate. And there is a call here to these people to say, walk away from those things and turn and be converted to, to come to Jesus as your hope, as your redeemer, as your savior. That, that, that's the offer. And there are three beautiful promises. Listen, every one of us in here need, need these promises. He says, repent and turn. Come to Jesus. Trust in him. First of all, so that your sins will be blotted out. Do, do you get it? Let's get back in the story. I, I was there. I, I shouted, crucify him. I shouted, give us Barabbas. 
I mocked him on the cross. And now Peter's looking at me saying, man, that, that, that will be wiped clean. Your, your sins will be blotted out. The very Jesus I mocked is the solution to my problem. Some of you may be in here this morning, you may have spent your life not believing in Jesus, mocking Jesus, thinking Christians are nuts for believing in Jesus. And I'm just here to tell you that that Jesus is the hope for your wholeness today. It's the hope for your wholeness. He says times of refreshing might come. Who doesn't need times of refreshing? After 2020 and 2021 and where we've been in 2022 so far, who doesn't need times of refreshing? But it is times of refreshing not from my idols or from anything else. It's times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. We need, we need God and in Christ in our lives, and it is refreshing. Some of you who have doubts, you are in a room full of people who've gone through some of the hardest things. Like, like I, I can't stand up here and tell their story, but I sit over there, and I've watched a few of you worship this morning knowing what you've been through. And know that, man, times of refreshing and the worst suffering. Times of refreshing will come, and he says, and that you will get Christ appointed to you. And what he's saying is that there's a day where Jesus is coming back, and he'll come back and take you with him. The, the rest who don't know him will have to stand before him. He's coming back for you. He's coming back for me. Here's what Easter says. Man, if I turn from my own pursuit and I trust in Jesus, here's the promise that, that I will have my sins forgiven. I will have the beauty of Christ in my life, which will fill me with joy and goodness, even in the hardest times. And I can know that just like Jesus rose again, one day he's going to come and go, Woo, I'm back. And he's going to call my name in my grave. If I go before he comes, if I'm in a grave, my grave will open up. And the Christ who is appointed for me will call my name, and I will come out of the grave, and I will join him for eternity. That's the hope. That's what we have to offer to you. That's what Peter, Peter stood in front of this crowd and said this. We find out the next chapter, a whole bunch of people went, thank you, Jesus. I'm in. I'm just like the man. And now they join the dance. They join the dance of this man. And, and for us in here who know Christ, Easter is another day to join the dance, right? To say, like that man, I'm whole because of Jesus. It's faith in his name. But, but oh, for, for those of you who are in here who you're like, man, I didn't know this was coming. This was kind of heavy. I didn't know what to do. I just want to offer you this hope this morning that the same message that Peter had on that day is always the Easter message that Christ loves you. He is for you. He died for you. And today, today, on this day, he will rescue you. And so, so what I'd like us to do is just bow your head and close your eyes for a minute. I'm not going to do anything weird in this room. Okay? So, so just relax. I'm not going to ask anybody to do anything that's uncomfortable or weird, but I do want you to pause for a minute and ask yourself this question. Do I know this Jesus? Here in just a minute, we're going to celebrate communion. One of our elders, Bob, is going to come up here right now and Help us walk through that. And for those of you who know Jesus, this moment of communion is a chance for us to remember what Jesus did for us again and to keep walking in that repentance and that change. But I've got to know that in a room this size, there are people who, who are here who are hearing this message 
and, and you're being honest with yourself. You're like, man, I'm on my own path, doing my own thing, and I need my sins blotted, and I need these times of refreshing, and I need the hope that is offered. And our offer to you this morning is the offer of Jesus and the chance to believe and respond, to respond with faith in Jesus and turning from yourself and trusting in him. When I was seven years old, I gave my life to Jesus. Christ saved me on that day. I've been a follower of his up and down since then. But my mom and dad led me in a simple prayer that went like this. The prayer doesn't save you. But the prayer said, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I've, I've fallen. I need a Savior. And Jesus, I know you died on the cross and you rose again for me. And today I give you my life and I trust you. I make you my Lord, my King, and my Savior. Now, the prayer is just words, but the heart that expressed that was a heart that knew wanted to know Jesus and Christ saved me. And I'm just today for every person in this room offering you this moment where you are just with your head bowed and eyes closed. If you want to trust in Jesus in this moment as we celebrate communion here just a minute and as we sing, will you just cry out to Jesus and say a prayer that's like that, I know I'm a sinner and I need redemption Jesus, I know you died for me and you rose again and now I trust you. And if you, if you trust Jesus this morning for the first time, we, we want to encourage you that, that, like, let us know. Let us know. There's a couple ways you can do this. At the end of service, I'll be over here or we actually will have a couple people over here who would love to pray with you and talk about that. Come find somebody and let's have a conversation about that. Or you could, in, the, in the green worship folder, you can find my email. If you'll email me and we can just have a conversation, start with email and figure out what that looks like. But don't, don't leave here if you actually have a moment with Jesus without help letting us figure out how to help you walk in that. But just right here in this moment, I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna celebrate communion. Will you pause and lift your voice to Christ and ask Jesus to save you? Lord, we love you today. We thank you for the message of the gospel. And now every one of us have a chance to, to respond, to respond to that message with our faith in you. And I just pray for everybody in this room. I pray for those of us who know you, help us join the dance today to celebrate like this man by lifting our voices and singing. And for those of us in the room who may not be there or may not know you or, or we're unsure, let this be a moment where we pause and respond with faith and repentance. And Lord, I pray that you would rescue and change them this very day. In your name I pray, amen.